five, four, three, two, one. City Field. High drive, left field, going back McNeil on the track at the wall. He's done it again. See ya. One nothing Yankees. The 3 2. He struck him out. What a performance by Holmes. He strikes out Lindor. He strikes out Marte. Here is Guillaume. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. Fly ball, left center. Right there is IKF, and the Yankees win a gritty game. Ricky Fowler makes history at L.A. Country Club. It is the lowest round we have ever seen at a U.S. Open. Wow. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Considering where Ricky Fowler has been in recent time, if you go back and with golf recency, uh, Jordan Spieth had his fair share of struggles uh, until recently. Everybody's had their lows, their ups and downs. Nobody's really battled the back and forth, however, like Ricky Fowler. So to come out and not only play well in the U.S. Open or play well at a golf course that seldom does anyone get to play at the Los Angeles Country Club where celebrities aren't allowed to be guests. Initial membership fees are $250,000. If you have to make a phone call, you got to make it from your car. So a very unique situation going on all the way around. And all Ricky Fowler does is go out yesterday and shoot the lowest round in U.S. Open history at 62, which is at eight under at LACC. Not hours later, after that great story develops and unfolds, Xander Shoffley does the same thing with a matching 62 to tie him atop the leaderboard after what was really a great round one. And if you've been watching, and I'm going to get into it in about 20, 25 minutes or so, the 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 second round out in L.A. today, it really is a tale of 24 hours. How different the course and the pin placements were from yesterday to today, especially if you got out in the morning or the afternoon. What a difference um, that has made. But that being said, welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. A touch after 7 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Lots to get into today. Obviously, the U.S. Open, it's shaping up to be a fun one. The big name guys at the top of the leaderboard with a few surprises. But I want to start and I really want to get into what's been happening uh, around Major League Baseball. There'll be plenty to get into with the NBA and the NHL seasons wrapping up um, with tip of the caps to the Nuggets and the Knights out in Vegas. But when you're and we've been kind of on this theme the last couple of weeks, haven't we, with trying to figure out this Yankee team overall? What do we have with them? Well, let's backtrack. Let's go in reverse a little bit. We'll go back to the Mets series earlier in the week. You get a split. And how quickly things can change with game one. If you watched game one of that series in Queens, both fan bases ready to roll. You get Luis Severino on the mound, who you need a good start from, was kind of due for one, and he was awful. Now, he battled, he gave him innings, and that's commendable, but he was bad. 
5-1 Yankees in a hole. Max Scherzer rolling. And then the script completely flips in the Yankees' favor. They have a big inning, long ball, two-run shot for DJ LeMayhew. No one needs to hit the baseball more solid than DJ LeMayhew. I would even put Anthony Volpe in that category, right? If the Yankees are going to succeed, they're going to need LeMayhew. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he's going to make this team go offensively, and they're going to need him. So to get that big two-home run, uh, two-run home run from LeMayhew, and the Yankees hold on. And how do the Yankees get that win in game one of that series? Right, they'd go on to lose the second game in 10 uh, on a Nimmo walk-off with that stupid secondary base runner out on second base in extra innings. It's absurd. I cannot believe that we're still having this conversation that it still exists in Major League Baseball, but it is what it is at this point. Yankees win game one on the strength of their bullpen doing what it's supposed to do. And you had Holmes at that back end in big spots, late games, particularly in the eighth inning. Two huge strikeouts to get out of the bases loaded jam. Now, this Yankee bullpen all season, yeah, there were some ups and downs early. This is the best bullpen, bar none, in Major League Baseball. That's one thing the, the Yankees can lean on to this point. And it's the reason they were able to get that split with the Mets and take game one in Queens. Now they'll do it again for two more next week in the Bronx. Yankees open a weekend slate um, in Fenway tonight with Domingo Herman on the mound. But while it would have been great to get the two in Queens, what I really took from that as, again, 39 and 30 overall, some 70 games into this season, still can't get a beat on this Yankee team. So what does that make them? It makes them frustrating. There's nothing really about this team that gets me going. Are they a playoff team? Yeah, I said it last week and I said it the week before. But perhaps after getting the the the, the two of and four homestand against the lousy White Sox and then the, the, the mediocre Red Sox, they go two and four over six at home. They lose all those games by one run. The four games they lost. Runners in scoring position in each one of them, you go down by one because the bats are cold. And what, where the Yankees have a problem now is Aaron Judge went for another injection, one of those PRP plasma injections, into his right big toe today, which is sprain. His timetable is still listed as very murky, still very unclear. And why that, it's a problem for obvious reasons, because 99's not out there in right field at DH or he's not in the batter's box. That's a huge reason in itself. But the problem with the Yankees, and we saw that against the White Sox and the Red Sox in early in game one against the Mets before they had that big inning, is the guns who are supposed to be there locked and loaded, ready to explode, have not been. Anthony Rizzo has not been hitting the baseball. Donaldson, since he's come back, has two hits. Two of them have been home runs. Four hits, two of them are home runs. You hadn't got much from LeMahieu. You wonder if he's still banged up, and they're not saying much about it. I think the lower body and the foot is still clearly a problem for DJ LeMahieu. Whether anybody, you could disagree with me all day. Something is, is clearly wrong there. So it was good to see him get that meaningful two-run home run to kind of jumpstart that Yankee win against the Mets a couple of nights ago. We know the struggles from Volpe. There hasn't been all that much from Stanton as much as I like the guy. Yeah, the solo shot to get things started uh, in Queens the other night. But outside of that, the guys who are supposed to provide support for Aaron Judge, 
It hasn't been there. Rizzo's been a real struggle with the bat. And I'll tell you another thing. To maybe where I can backtrack and kind of take some humble pie. Nobody's a bigger Glaber Torres fan than I am. And I know that I'm in the minority there. I get it. I understand it. He's not the most popular guy. To me, while I can understand where some people come from with that, Yankee fans have a tendency to be you place burden. They're burdensome. They put too much pressure. Somebody does something wrong, they stick with it. Gleyber Torres lately, specifically on the defensive end, does some things and makes some plays that really force you to scratch your head. And I think that's where a lot of that frustration comes from. Yankee fans might have a little PTSD from the Gary Sanchez days because we saw a lot of that from him. I don't think this is the same situation. When Gleyber Torres is hitting, it translates to the field. And when he hits, this team wins. Because it comes in chunks with him. When he's hot, he's hot. And we've seen that throughout his career. Now, I'm not going to backtrack from how much I really, really like this guy, because I do. I think he's an integral piece of what this team's trying to do. Despite what might be down with Peraza in the minors and some of the other young guys that the Yankees are grooming, who seem like only mirages at this point. But I think overall with this team, as much as there might not be the overall excitement where you're not really getting out of your chair, uh, I think overall with the Yankees, you saw some good things. Going 2-4 and four against the, the Sox, Chicago, and Boston is not a great look, especially at home when you lose four of those games by one run. That's a bad look. But the bullpen shutting down the Mets in game one when you needed it in crunch time with the bases jammed up, you could take a big step for the Yankees toward their postseason, right? Nine and a half games out of the AL East right now, but they're locked steady in that third AL East, uh, in that third AL wildcard spot behind the O's and the Astros. You take a big step forward this weekend. If you go into Fenway, win the series. Go in there and sweep them. I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons why I'm not the biggest Herman fan. One of them is going to be obvious. I've talked about it on the program before. But when he's on, he's on. And if he's going to be here, you're going to need him. Go in there and take the two of three. And like I said, sweep them. You take a big step there as far as this fan base would be concerned with getting some excitement going. With now, it'll be 70 plus games into the season when this weekend series in Boston wraps up. Good team? Sure. Lacking without judge? It's obvious. Because if the support offensively is not going to be there, you're going to have to get corner support and offensive production from the likes of Rizzo and Donaldson. And so far, with Judge down and the timetable still very murky and unclear, that production just has not been there. And, and, and that timetable becomes even uh, more unknown with the injection that Judge got again today. But we'll keep you uh, posted with everything that happens as far as Aaron Judge is concerned because the Yankees need him. And they've got him for the next nine years. But things are going to have to change in the meantime. And it could start tonight for those listening live Friday the 16th in Boston with Domingo Herman uh, on the bump. With that uh, being said, we have Mike on the line. Mike, what's going on? Hi, Pete. How you doing? What's up? 
a couple of things. Number one, first of all, I'm not a I'm not a Boone hater like a lot of Yankee fans are. But neither am I. But I get it. I, I understand. Last, it. He frustrated me the last game because because Cole is rolling along. And all right, he had a rough sixth inning, but he mm. got out of it. And he takes him out, 95 pitches. He should have let him come out for the seventh and go hitter by hitter. Because Cole is, is a horse. He's not going to ask out. I no. would have won when he's my ace. I go with him. And I and I, while I don't disagree with you, and I and I think Aaron Boone, and, and probably rightfully so, was was leaning on the fact that he might be able, again, to have even more confidence in that bullpen after what they did less than 24 hours prior. But to your point about yanking Cole at 95, while I don't disagree with you, Mike, it's just something you don't see very much anymore. These I know. guys, are, they're not going to play with the gut. They're not going to play with the history. They're going to play uh, th- even outside of matchups. They're going to go true. on that pitch count, I'm and they're just going to come out because <laughs> the new rules, the new metrics say this is what you got to do. That's true. And speaking of metrics, you know, a lot of the Yankees star other than Judge, their big-time players are not hitting a lick right now. No, and it's a problem, and it's and very noticeable. Who is their hitting coach? You know, it's it's amazing that you would that somebody had brought that up uh, to me on social media because you see some of these guys who have been successful, um, who have moved on from from the Yankees, and now with you know guys like uh, Dylan Lawson working with these guys, uh, you know yeah. Hensley Mullins has had success uh, around the league. That sort Phil Nevin now now a manager, um, guys that have worked with them in the past. Um, it's it, it's kind of a head scratcher that you don't really hear too much about. Hey, what's going on? I mean, yeah. Dylan Lawson. I, I think this might be the second or third time I've ever said his name. So I, I mean, we, Matt Blake gets all the run because the bullpen's doing well, and for for the for the, the most part has been able to hold this pitching rotation together. Though Cortez really hasn't had all that great of a year, but I think Matt Blake has done a nice job. But it doesn't seem like there's too much accountability, even in the media. Uh, with know. a lot of what's going on with with the hitting instructor, you know, people are always so quick to say, "Well, strength and conditioning—it's an issue," you know, over and over and over again. If the guy doesn't get axed, at least he's being spoken about. Mum seems to be the word in the in the Yankee hitting department, and I don't care that Judge isn't here. Obviously, that's a big part of the the, the lack of production. But you yeah. lose four games at home against a mediocre Red Sox team and a woefully underachieving White Sox team, and you lose four of those games by one run. You're not swinging the bats. And I'm sorry. I've been hard on Josh Donaldson. I think rightfully so. And maybe it's time to start getting on Anthony Rizzo because after that hot start, he's been a ghost at in the batter's box. And it's been a problem. He's killing the team right now. He really is. And, and you know, it, it was nice to see from, from – um, Torres has had some hits. LeMayhew swinging a better bat. Between him and Volpe, nobody needed to have a couple of hits in the Mets series than those two, and they were able to get him in big spots. So maybe that gets something going now back into an AL East matchup with the Red Sox. But I agree with you. I Something has to change because you can't just be sitting there waiting for Judge to come back. Stanton's here. He's one of those guys that's supposed to be able to shoulder a load, and right now he's just not doing it. Right. And Volpe has dinner with his buddies at, at – uh... The double A team, I forget the Somerset. Yeah. And 
uh, I think it was Austin Wells mentioned to him, you know, you got to close your stance like you used to do before. A subtle, a subtle adjustment. And then help them. Well, that's something a hitting coach should stop. And I think when that report came out, because I think I first read about it in the, I think it was the Daily News, that's kind of when you start, you started seeing the name, uh, you know, about y- Yankee hitting coaches and making change. And then heads are rolling on social media, right? If this yeah. is true, if they're able to fix this over a steak dinner and the Yankee coaching staff couldn't figure it out when he's in front of your face, somebody's got to get fired, right? Somebody's got to go cool. down. If George was alive, he'd be fired right now. Everybody would be fired. And, <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is you hear you hear Hal say, even if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, it doesn't mean Cashman and Boone are gone. Well, I mean, if you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, that makes you a lunatic. So That's right. uh, I, I, I think it's 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 to the point where nine games above 500, there's, there's not too many teams that wouldn't sign up for that right now. But for the Yankees, with a bet, uh, the Blue Jays are hot. A game behind them for third. They're nine and a half games behind Tampa. But Yanks are not going to win the division if they're going to play ball like this. They're going to beat up on on lesser teams because they're just better. But the fact of the matter is, your very good bullpen, which I think is the best in Major League Baseball, is going to be rendered useless if you don't have leads going into the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings. That's right. And the sixth inning in Major League Baseball has become all the more important in recent years because starters just get pulled. Yeah. And, and an asset to the Yankees could obviously be useless come late season because this team is just not scoring runs. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Mike, I appreciate the call, but um, and uh, it was right. good talking to you. It was nice. Um, I appreciate appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, but again, and and that's not anything that should be breaking news if you're if you're a fan of Major League Baseball and watching the New York Yankees. They're not scoring runs. The explosion against the Mets was great. Three the next night, losing an extra innings. Okay, that's going to happen. Mets are struggling, but they're not an awful baseball team. You got an opportunity this weekend to go into Fenway and do some damage against the team that you're better than. And we'll see. Little padding in the wild card would be not, I mean, would be nice close the gap perhaps on this Tampa Bay team. But you look at the Major League Baseball standings now. I mean, the Red Sox are last in the AL East and they're a game under 500. This is a lethal division. 50 wins already through 72 games for Tampa Bay. And they're five and a half clear, uh, four on the loss side of the Baltimore Orioles who are playing good baseball. I'll tell you another thing. You, You talk about wild card spots and just getting in the tournament, Texas and Houston, that race is going to come down to the wire. And if LA continues to play the way they do in eight and two in their last 10 at 39 and 32, it could be a three headed race out of the West come down the stretch. You can't dismiss a team like Seattle. Who's a game under 500, but you want to talk about bad baseball. Pay attention to what's happening in the AL central. Minnesota twins have a, a two and a half game lead over Cleveland at 35 and 34. Chicago White Sox 10 game under 500 and in the loss column only 6 back of the Twins. One of those teams is going to make the playoffs. And I mean this is an, it just an impossibly horrific division. And you know in the divisions each year you're going to eat your own, you go at each other's throats, I get it. But the Twins 
the only team in the Central with a plus differential between runs scored and runs allowed. The Chicago White Sox, with boasting the type of lineup they had, do not have 300 runs scored this season. Yet they've given up nearly 350. Now, another team, and, and the White Sox were a preseason favorite for a lot of people. And they're not completely dead in the water because this division is so bad. But a fan favorite to win the Central and do some damage, like the Blue Jays in the East. Now, the Blue Jays had a miserable start. They're still 11 games out in the East, a game and a half behind the Yankees for third. But they've been playing better ball as of late. And with that offense, no one's going to want to see them. That's a team you cannot dismiss in any facet. You look at the National League, the Mets frustrate you. You know, you got the big RBI double from uh, Starling Marte the other night against the Yankees. That's good to see. The Mets' problem, outside of a lack of run production and shaky pitching from top to bottom, this is a miserable road team. The Mets do not play well away from Queens at seven games under. That's a problem. 32-36 and 36 to this point in the season on June 16th as a bad road team, 10 and a half games behind the Braves, who are getting hot again. We mentioned last week that the Braves, the Dodgers, kind of a little, you know, a little bit of that Jekyll and Hyde type stuff, but Atlanta's really geesed it up a little bit. And I was having a conversation with a buddy today. There's two teams in this National League who at the onset of the season, you probably would have looked at me like I had 10 heads by saying it. But the Miami Marlins and the Arizona Diamondbacks are for real. For what they've been able to do, Arizona too clear of the Dodgers in the West right now at 41-28. and 28, And complete opposite of what the Mets do on the road. Nine games over. Now, you probably don't see too many of their games if you live on the East, unless you're a night owl. But the way this team plays, and the fun they have when you watch their games, Corbin Carroll, their starting left fielder, 22 years old. You talk about five tool, 14 homers, 35 RBIs, 19 bags already, and hitting over 300. In his first consistent action in the major leagues. I mean, this is an impressive ball player. Christian Walker is having a great season at 32 years old. 13 homers, 42 RBIs. He's hitting over 260. So there's balance in this lineup. Kettle Marte's having a good year, approaching 290 at 286. And from top to bottom, you look at their starting pitching, Zach Gallen, 7-2. Merrill Kelly. Eight and three. They keep runs off the board and they can give you innings. This has been a fun team to watch through the early portion of this season. And why wouldn't it continue? 41 and 28 to this point. There's enough of a sample size here to believe that this Diamondback team is completely legit. And they are. The same with this Miami team. A good young core that's been developing, right? The thing, you know, over the last few years, last decade or so, Yankees jump out to an early one nothing lead, by the way, uh, in Boston. So that's good to see. 
But with Miami, developmentally, they get these kids and they bounce. They sign via free agency or they get traded. You go back a few years at one point, the Miami Marlins outfield was Giancarlo Stanton, Marcelo Zuna. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And oh, by the way, the third one, Christian Yelich, was an MVP. And they're all gone. Scattered around. But I think this Marlins team has some staying power at second in the East. Do I think they'll win the division? No, I think Atlanta's unbelievable. And they probably have, when healthy, the best player in baseball, not named Shohei Otani, and Ronald Acuna Jr. So this has been a fun 65-70 games thus far around Major League Baseball. And you would expect that to continue. It's a great game. The, The new pitch clock has worked out, I think. I think it's been a pretty fair adjustment for most guys. You know, some of the intricacies that they've toyed with, I think, have worked this season. I hate the runner on second base. I think it's absurd. I think it's a BS win or a BS loss. Something that could really cost the team. And we've seen that happen. As far as, again, this show being, you know, a national show with a New York flavor, clearly frustrated with the performance coming from the Mets to this point. I think that's blatantly obvious. And I think you've had your highs and lows with the Yankees. I think that's where we've lived conservatively the last three to four weeks. So it's a big series with the Yankees in Fenway this week and against a team that they're just better than. You know, from a Mets perspective, there's the level of frustration with Buck Showalter's romanticism with Daniel Vogelbach. Is Billy Epler's seat burning? You know, I don't think, and that now the Mets have jumped out to a quick lead uh, on the Cardinals with three in the first. St. Louis, up and down, they've struggled from the better part of this season. So this is a big set for the Mets before they go three on the road in Houston and three on the road in Philly. Plenty of time to right the ship, but you've got to get it going. And with the Mets trying to lean on your veteran pitchers in Verlander and Scherzer, you're not getting overwhelming passing marks there, if I'm being totally honest. And I think most would agree, if you, unless you have blinders on. You know, overall, it's been a hell of a season to this point. There's a lot to look forward to especially from a fantasy perspective. And we can definitely get into that as the program continues as this season goes on. But just to put a cap on this segment, Mets, very underwhelming. Yankees, you get that up and down, Jekyll Hyde, hot, cold, whatever you want to call it. Let's just get a streak and then we can go from there. And that can start tonight. And they've jumped out early at Fenway. It can start tonight with a good performance against your biggest rival. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. 28 after 7 on the East Coast, this Friday night edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Uh, Glad you could be along for the ride, taking your calls until a little bit after 8 p.m. here on the East Coast. Just want to quickly touch on the NBA and the NHL Finals because I don't think there was anything more remarkable that we've seen, not just in basketball, But in sports overall, a more remarkable 
performance consistently when it mattered the most than what Nikola Jokic did for the Denver Nuggets this postseason. Yeah, he's a he's a two-time NBA MVP. Could have made the argument that he probably should have won his third straight this year, but Joel Embiid had a phenomenal campaign as well, so you can't really do too much uh, whining and moaning. But Jokic just proving again why he is the best in the game. You get the big game one win at home. Miami comes back and evens things up in game two. All the Joker does is come back and record the NBA's first 30-20-10 game in finals history. Game four, 108-95. Another double-double. He's consistent there. And again, this was, I think most people, you know, it was a great story with Miami as an eight seed, taking down some of the teams they did. Milwaukee, Boston, a good Knicks team. And then get here, tied two games through. But most people had the Nuggets pegged to win the series. I liked them in six. They got it done in five. And the game five, five-point win, riding the backs of Jokic and Jamal Murray again, uh, was spectacular. But you don't see domination like you did from Jokic in this postseason. You folks, you just you you might not ever see this again. That's how special this was. You know, and I said this last week, as a as a lifelong Nick fan, you know, my allegiances now lie. You want to talk about who are your favorite of the favorite? I'm a diehard Yankee and Giants fan, right? But I'm a Knicks and a Rangers fan. When I was a kid, I lived, breathed, and slept Knicks. And they had, we had the, the good years, in, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. They had the good early nineties into the mid nineties. I was playing a lot of basketball, so it made sense. And the Knicks kind of ruined as, as much of a, a fan as I always was. They had some crap teams and some crap decision makers that really put salt in the open wound of a fan base, to which the fan base probably hasn't recovered until this year. And then Miami takes him down in surgical fashion. Where you thought, hey, maybe we've got a shot here. The Knicks get to the East Final and then shock the world. But this Heat team, Eric Spolstra, is, is just a surgeon on that sideline. But they ran into a brick wall in the Denver Nuggets and the combo of Jokic and Murray. But as, and as great as Murray is. High draft pick out of Kentucky a couple of years ago. There's just no answer for Nikola Jokic, who was a mid-second round pick a couple of years ago. This guy's been that good. Couldn't blow double-digit leads in the postseason. They rode him all the way. And it really was something special. And you could say the same thing, just switching gears here into the NHL with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And I'll tell you why this is so special. You see the joy and the charisma and just the live and die for your team with that fan base in Vegas. How the Golden Knights hockey franchise represented that city after that horrendous mass shooting a couple of years ago. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. How that team carried that city on its back. They were visible. They were uh, accessible. They were out in public. 
this is an original Vegas franchise. And I, and I read a couple of good articles from different outlets, ESPN, one of them uh, this past week, uh, with interview with, with, with Bryce Harper, who's a Vegas native. Bryce Harper basically saying not overly thrilled about the Oakland A's move to Vegas because they're not an original Vegas team. So Bryce Harper's argument was it's a sad day for the people of Oakland losing their team as bad as they've been. They might need a change of scenery. They're going to get one. It's going to be Vegas. But Bryce Harper's argument was you're going to go to probably a couple of A's games in Vegas. And it's going to be a 50-50 split in the fan base. And you see that you go to a Devils game, you might get a 60-40 Devils, Rangers, Yankees, Mets. You know, you go down to a Tampa Bay Lightning game against the Rangers. It's all freaking Ranger fans. An old retired New Yorkers living down there in Florida who are Ranger fans might go to a Tampa Bay game. But why this Stanley Cup final victory for Vegas was so impressive and so essential and so emotional and beautiful to an extent is because that's an original Vegas franchise. Hadn't been around all that long. Second trip to the Cup final. And they win a series against an upstart wildcard Florida Panther team. In five. Come out of the gate swinging in games one and two. Five, two, seven, two victories. Lose game three in Florida in overtime in a great game. And they come back and win by the same score, three, two in game four. And they close it out in game five with one of the most dominant performances you could see in a series clinching game, racking up nine goals. No one was more electrifying than Mark Stone in that series. The hat trick in game five, 11 goals in the playoffs. You got three assists in that game from Jack Eichel, who this was his first trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Spent his first seven years in Buffalo before joining Vegas a year ago, and he gets a cup title. There's a lot of emotion attached to this victory for Vegas, and it's well-deserved. Good coaching, how they built from the ground up through the expansion drafts a couple of years ago and be patient, not just take the big names that are available, but take the guys that make sense to build positions of need and get young guys in. And they did it. And now they're champs for a city who absolutely adores its own team. Now things might very well work out with the Raiders moving to Vegas might very well work out with the Oakland A's moving to Vegas, but they're not original Las Vegas teams. There's an attachment to this hockey team like we haven't seen in a long time with a city. And living in New York, we love our sports team. We love them as much as we hate them sometimes. The emotion on those players and fans' faces when they hoisted the cup is one of the most indelible moments you'll see for quite a while. It was special, and it's rare. That's why I get annoyed when people say, well, you're so frustrated, it's just a game. To a lot of people, it's not. To a lot of people, this is more than a game. There's an attachment there. When I watch Notre Dame football on Saturdays, it's more than a game for me. When I watch the Giants on Sundays, it's more than a game for me. And for these people in Las Vegas, Specifically, having recently gone through that mass shooting where they had to almost rebrand an entire existence 
of a strip of a city that's known globally than to have their original franchise built specifically for that city, for that strip of entertainment, win the Stanley Cup, that's special. And that means a lot. You didn't have to be a Golden Knights fan to be one that night. And that was pretty damn cool to see. Just a quick wraparound before I get into the U.S. Open. Ja Morant slapped with a 25-game suspension by the NBA earlier today. That's going to begin at the start of the 2023-24 season. Conduct detrimental to the league. That's what it was called by Adam Silver. You parade around with a gun. You got photos of you on social media with a gun a second time. Now, Morant comes out and, 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 and tosses in an apology, and that's great. Here's the thing. This isn't the first time that happened on social media where you're caught with pictures of you carrying a firearm. Even if the damn thing was fake, which allegedly it was not. And the apology's out. Because I'm starting to get really annoyed with a lot of these athletes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this. Antonio Brown's Arena Football League got folded today because he wasn't paying bills. So I'm sure there'll be an apology there. You get the apology from John Morant, who I was pretty sympathetic for. With It seems like... Mentally, maybe there was something off there. And mental health is certainly something that shouldn't be joked about. It should be something that should be taken seriously. Right? When you're physically ill, you go to the doctor. You should take care of your mental health, too. This doesn't seem to be the case here. This seems to be the case. And you don't have to agree with me. You say I'm being too hard. This seems to be the case of John Morant simply being a moron. Of course he's sorry because he got nabbed a second time. How about don't do it a second time? Right. This is this isn't I had too many beers and I said silly things while somebody had a phone in front of my face and slapped it on Twitter and Instagram. This is a freaking weapon. That you're parading around with for a second time, quite honestly, 25 game suspension. This is the second time. Adam said that this is a joke. 25 games. My ass. He should be given the season. You've done it for much less. But because he is who he is, one of the faces of the league. 25 games in the eyes of the power that be seems to be enough. It's a joke. So there's your NBA update. There's the other rumors about Knicks, Zion, a potential match in trading. Guys played 30 games in a, in a season more than once. And what you're giving up to get them, you know, well, we could, we could move top and we could move quickly. It's not that easy to do, number one. Number two, it's got to make sense. You heard Mitchell Robinson. That is, it's a complete uh, asinine thing that I heard. And how you, where are you moving Julius Randle? Because if you want to be perfectly honest, he's got no trade value after the way he performed in the postseason. So I think we could pump the brakes on this Knicks and Zion uh, being a match because that's something we could definitely revisit it. I'm certainly going to keep an eye on it. I'll peruse the rumorville and talk to some of my contacts, many of which have been on the program before, uh, and see what the hell's going on here. But to me, stay away. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole if I'm the Knicks. you got a good thing going, even if you don't move on from Julius Randle. You've got a good thing going. You cannot screw this up by being overly emotional and going for name recognition. Not to mention, Zion Williamson, I think, is making $38 million a year and again, he's only played over 30 games once. You got to be careful here because we don't need the Knicks reverting back to 
the Dark Ages. And the, the Dark Ages were not that long ago. You know exactly what I'm talking about and some of the decision makers who are involved in that. You know, Donnie Walsh is not exonerated from any of that. Dolan, still, we have to be smart here if we're the Knicks pursuing free agents and potential trades. I say that because it's not rocket science, but with the Knicks, nothing is ever that simple. Ricky Fowler's made history. Xander Shoffley has matched him. Not one, but a couple of 62s in the opening round here at Los Angeles Country Club, the two lowest rounds ever at a U.S. Open. And why that is so significant, I mentioned it at the top of the broadcast because coming out of the intro, um, you had the Ricky Fowler highlight. He shoots a record 62. And then you get a matching 62 from Xander not a couple hours later. The fact that one of them is Ricky Fowler is, is storybook in its own right. And if you've watched today, Fowler starts one, two, three, birdie, birdie, birdie. And as we sit here live on the air at 741 on Friday, June 16th on the East Coast, Ricky Fowler's got a one-shot lead over Xander Shoffley, who's one under on his round, and Wyndham Clark. I'll tell you, Wyndham Clark, he can, this guy gets up and down out of places. He's making threes where I make sixes. Well, where most people would make sixes. I've been really impressed with his putting stroke. The way he carries himself out there. Folks, there's a 300 yard, 299 yard par three seventh hole out there in LA this week. Wyndham Clark hit it long on the hole into a bowl. Instead of running it up, you bang it into the hill and let it trickle forward, which is what most people would do. He flies it up there, gets it to spin, knocks in a seven-footer for par. So I've been very impressed with Wyndham Clark um, through the early portion of the four-day stretch. Now, he's done. He cards in at nine under, heading into the weekend. He'll be in one of the leader groups. And Rory McIlroy's in there at minus eight as a past champion. Just Dustin Johnson's in there at minus six as a past champion. Harris English played great today, firing a 66. He's at minus seven. Cam Smith is in there. Min Woo Lee, who I love, was great. Minus six for the tournament, shot 65 today. Tony Finau was up and down early. Brian Harmon faltered a little bit. He started the day minus five. He's at minus two heading into the weekend. Bryson DeChambeau who's won this event in the past through 11 right now is minus two and previous and past champion Gary Woodland is minus two as well. Brooks Kepka even through two rounds defending champion Matt Fitzpatrick is one over. Uh, that's a T 43 uh, at this moment, along with Hideki Matsuyama. So there's big names up there. Ricky Fowler's been the story. Ricky Fowler's 62 with 10 birdies, two bogeys, I mean, it was great golf if you watched it. He was confident. He was hitting the fairway. His stroke looked good. I watched him earlier, uh, left a couple of putts short. Um, I believe it was on the sixth hole uh, where he bogeyed in. I'm pulling up his card now. I just want to verify that. Uh, the seventh hole uh, where he made a bogey, a uh, three-putt bogey. But he's been rock-solid steady um, now through 10 uh, in round two, and he's got a one-shot lead. I'll tell you, coming into this U.S. Open, um, you had the interesting storylines where 
Brooks and Rory were going to be paired together for the first two days. And obviously, this is the first big event since news broke last week about the merger between the PGA Tour Live and DP World Tour, uh, formerly known as the European Tour. So you have some animosity, some questions to be asked, some questions to be answered. PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan went down with an illness uh, earlier in the week. Uh, you'd have to assume in, in some capacity, stress playing a role there. I mean, that's just blatantly obvious. Uh, you don't have to do, do much digging there uh, with all the pressure that's come down. Some self-inflicted, some because it, this boils down, unfortunately, to the power of the almighty dollar. So to have this event, the U.S. Open, for the first time out at Los Angeles Country Club, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast how exclusive it is. You're not allowed to be a celebrity member. Interesting stuff. No cell phones inside. Got to wear a sports coat after six. I love that rule, by the way. Got to wear a sports jacket in the clubhouse and on the grounds after 6 p.m. Phenomenal. Old school, class it up. Love it. You got to make a phone call. You got to use a pay phone inside or use your cell phone in the car. No pictures. No gramming. It's pretty cool stuff. $250,000 initiation fee, by the way. But you had some big-name players absent going into the week as well. Tiger, obviously, we know, recovering from ankle surgery. 15-time major champion has certainly made his mark in this event. Will Zalatoris probably would have been a, uh, a pretty solid pick. The world number 11 continues to heal up from back surgery. His season's over. He had the back surgery prior to the Masters. No Mark Leishman and Harold Varner. Live golf guys. Uh, Leishman missed out on qualifying. This is his first major he's absent from since 2015. And he's been up on the leaderboard in some uh, with recency, specifically at Augusta. Varner played well in qualifying, two sub-70 rounds. But he missed out advancing uh, to L.A. by three shots. So there's a couple of big names there. And Varner's a guy I enjoy watching play. I don't see him too much on, on Liv because I, I just I don't have the stomach for the product they've put out there. I just don't like it. But overall, to get through a day and a half to this point, it's been good stuff with Rory, Bryson, Scheffler, Brian Harmon still up there, Harris English, Dustin Johnson, Minwoo Lee, now Ricky Fowler and Wyndham Clark. You've got big names on this leaderboard. Sam Bennett's playing great golf. Another subpar round today, three under yesterday. Two under today, he's minus five heading into the weekend. This is really good stuff that they're putting out there in L.A. Uh, and if you get a chance, you don't have to be a diehard golfer to really enjoy uh, what's been happening out there. Um, because just looking at this leaderboard, Fowler, Shoffley, McElroy, three of the top four right now with Dustin Johnson right there. And going into the weekends with the differentiation between Thursday and Friday, for how guys were lighting it up, two matching 62s, a couple of minus sixes, minus fives, then to today, where you'll get a lot of red numbers out there. Today, Minwoo Lee again was minus five, uh, Harris English minus four, but you'll get some big numbers because of where the pin placements were and the time you teed off during the day. Brian Harmon plus three today. Joaquin Neiman plus two. So the numbers uh, not as consistently low as they were from round one to round two. And I think you'll try to see the expectation from those setting the grounds for the weekend, pin placements will be more difficult. And you, you see instances where if you miss the fairway here, you've got a problem. 
big problem with the undulation that many of these holes have with the ball landing in the fairway and just scurrying off, even by less than a foot, it disappears. Case in point was today, round two, hole five. Hideki Matsuyama didn't hit all that bad of a tee shot. Could not see the ball when he stepped up to it. Just wanted to knock it back out into the fairway, which he thought he did. The fairways are cut so tight that the ball rolled from the left side of the rough to the right rough. And the broadcasters, Dan Hicks, one of them, just let out a, ugh. Because as soon as the ball rolled out of the fairway, you could not see it when it went into the rough. On the par four, 493-yard hole, Matsuyama, who's one of the best players in the world, with a, as crisp a short game as it comes, and he shot one under today, turned a, turned a potential birdie or par into a double, which put him in fringe cut territory, uh, which right now is at plus two. So if that holds at plus one, Matsuyama will get in, but that's how the nitty-gritty this is going to be this weekend. Sergio Garcia right there on that cut line through 11 today at plus one overall. And you've got some other names that are battling for the cut position as well. Abraham Answer was plus one last I looked. Now he's at plus two. So two's going to get you in as of now. Patrick Cantley sitting right there at plus two as well. So is Tommy Fleetwood and Patrick Reed. So there's big names there that are battling. Shane Lowry plus one. Patrick Rogers plus one. Kevin Streelman. There's a name we haven't spoke all that much of recently at plus one as well. Popular Canadians Corey Connors and Adam Hadwin uh, are at even par. So, it, you know, it's been one of these tournaments where you're seeing some things you hadn't seen in a while, really, led by the performance of Ricky Fowler on day one. And some of the, you're watching to see how a lot of these live players are competing now since the merger and how a lot of these partnerships are playing out there. Phil Mickelson, not a great day today at plus four. On the outside, looking in, unless that cut line changes, and it doesn't look like it's going to. Same for Jordan Spieth at plus three. Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, also at plus three. Chris Kirk didn't have a good two days. Neither did Justin Rose. Justin Rosie was better today as a former champion here at the U.S. Open at minus two. Through 10, he's at plus four. So he's got a shot as his round is ongoing, but he's got a, work, a lot of work left to do. And I'll tell you, Jason Day really had a tough two days as well, as did uh, Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas on the round today, plus seven. It's been tough to watch. Plus 10 overall for the tournament. It happens. We've seen a lot of the big-name players struggle. It does happen, unfortunately. And for JT, it's happening um, right now. Not his best effort at the U.S. Open. For some guys are managing around, shortening up a club off the tee to take the speed out of the fairways. Other guys are gripping and ripping. So I think this sets up to be a really unique weekend at a golf course that people haven't seen before. Rory McIlroy, they said on the broadcast, was learning about Los Angeles Country Club via YouTube videos because he had never played there. So it's a unique spot for a lot of these guys, most of them, including the fans and us watching from home because it's not a course that is offered up to us all the time and seldom seen in a very wealthy part of the city of Los Angeles um, as well. So it's going to be a great weekend. I highly encourage you uh, to tune in to the U.S. Open because 
It's the best tournament, in my opinion, in professional golf. And I, and I know this weekend, especially Father's Day Sunday, I'm going to be locked in uh, taking a look and a listen at what's happening uh, out on the West Coast. That's for sure. Gary's underway. Uh, it's It's been interesting in there. Now we're into the double elation, elimination slate. Oral Roberts, ECU, Virginia, Florida, Stanford, Wake Forest, Tennessee, LSU. And this has been good stuff to this point. Big win for Oral Roberts to open the tournament earlier. Stunning 6-5 win over TCU. So if you're a baseball fan, it doesn't have to just be the MLB. All right? We just got off the Women's College World Series in softball. Another title for Oklahoma. And now we're going to see something pretty special um, in the college ranks. You would think Wake Forest, the U they had in the ACC, and Florida, the top two seeds, they'll be probably the favorites. But with the way ORU's been playing, and you're not sleeping on a Tennessee team, College World Series is going to be fun. Um, and in some lesser news, uh, sad news, Giants legend Homer Jones, great wide receiver, the inventor of the spike, uh, passed away earlier in the week at 82. Uh, so, yeah, a lot might not remember uh, what Jones did, two times, pro, two-time Pro Bowler, over a thousand yards, three times in his career. He's a New York Giant legend, and he put up great numbers for the Giants during the back end of what was the really lousy Allie Sherman years. Uh, Sherman went seven and seven a couple times. There was a one and twelve clunker in there. Uh, these were bad Giant teams from '64 to '69. There's just no way else to put it. But Homer Jones uh, was a bright spot during really one of the worst patches. Uh, in big blue history um, so certainly condolences there because he was he was one of the best to do it uh, in a New York Giants uniform uh, that is for sure uh, that's pretty much going to put a bow on today a little abbreviated show uh, this weekend but lots going on around the world of sports you're locked in Yankees Red Sox three games set up in Fenway this weekend Mets have uh, the Cardinals for a three-game set before they go on the road to Houston. And, of course, the U.S. Open wrapping up Saturday and Sunday. Right now, Ricky Fowler, a one-shot lead as his second round continues at the beautiful, luxurious, and exclusive Los Angeles Country Club. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You know where to subscribe by now. Twitter, um, Podbean right here, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Samsung, and Google. We're all over the place, and I can't thank you enough again for supporting the show as it continues to go north as far as subscriptions are concerned. Have a great week. Enjoy the Open, and I'll see you seven days from now right here, June 23rd on Sports Today with Peter J. Have a good one, folks. Sports Today with Peter J.